The lip syncing isn't working. Uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> Paul is a, a Christian leader. He, he's responsible for writing pretty much half the New Testament. I was listening to somebody who said, you know, the reason why the letters of Paul exist is because it teaches us how to follow Jesus. Um, one of the things that's, one of the words that's been sitting with me for a while um, has been responsibility and breaking it up into responsibility. Uh, and that we have something to do in order to enter into all that God has for us. Um, we've been talking for quite a long time now about passivity, which is Jesus has done it all, or God, if you want it, if it is your will, then please do this. Have you prayed like that? Oh, Lord, it's, if, if it's your will, please heal this person. Well, you should never pray that again. That's, that's heresy. Because God's already declared his will, so why would you ask him? It's like going into the hospital and saying, Doctor, if it's your will, please see me. Uh, it's the most ridiculous prayer. So we're raising the bar in try terms of trying to say, Jesus, what are you really saying and what are you doing among us? Because what we do when we say it's your will is basically we opt out of having to take any responsibility. But let me stay with my script tonight, otherwise I'm going to go forever. Jesus, God is looking for people who are following Jesus, not informed, but transformed. He's looking for people who are not informed about him and have given the vote, yes, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. As I learned at school, I believe in God, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, which is an awful thing to think about, the Holy Ghost. But that's how it was in the Anglican prayer book. So the Baptists, you know, they're not the only ones who screwed up. The Anglican, <laughs> I mean, the Holy Ghost to a 10-year-old boy is like, I don't want to turn off the lights. But you learn all this thing about what you believe because it's doctrinal. And that's why we've got so many church splits, because they're doctrinal. We're the first Anglican church or the first Baptist church of the second, you know. We have all these derivations because we now, it's ridiculous. It's because we're trying to get unity through doctrine rather than through relationship. And the kingdom of heaven is about relationship. And actually, Paul, I'm jumping ahead, Paul actually speaks in Ephesians and says, I mean, I grew up as a Jew, and I was educated as a Jew, and I'm actually like a graduate of a very good school, says Saul, and I pursued these Christians because they were wrong. And they weren't called Christians. They were just a sect of the Jewish faith. And we said, you, you can't be Jewish and say the Messiah has come, and it's certainly not Jesus, because Jesus doesn't fit the paradigm that we believe the Messiah is. And I can prove it from Scripture that the Messiah is going to be somebody who's going to lead Judaism out of the Roman Empire and he's going to equip us to be a mighty people. And even John the Baptist, who came before Jesus and said, prepare the way, said, I believe this guy is coming to separate the chaff from the wheat, and you know he's going, to, he's going to come with brimstone and fire and repent. And they were sincere, they were passionate, they laid down their lives for it. These guys weren't casual. But there are two ways of pursuing God. There are two ways of understanding God. The one way is, I look at my world, and, and one of the, this is encouraging, I hope, which is, I can look at this world and say, there is no way I can look at this world and I can conclude that God loves. Because why does He allow so much suffering? Why is there so much strife? Why is there so much addiction? Why is there still so much war? Why is there so much divorce? 
Why, are, why is Port Alberni filled with drug addicts and alcoholics and broken mothers and broken fathers and everything? Why is Parksville, why is this whole island full of them? Why is Victoria full of uh, prostitution and drug trafficking and trafficking of women? If there's a God of love, why? And if I come to God from this perspective, from this place, I cannot conclude that he really loves that much. And if he does, he seems anemic and powerless. And many of the people who are not in churches, those are the questions they're asking. So if God's so loving, why is he like this? And so Paul, as he goes through his writing, if you read that Ephesians, he always says, for this reason, for this reason, for this reason, because he's, he's wrestled with it. And he, and he says, so, that's me with my question from this angle, right? How does it begin? In the beginning, God. God created the world, Genesis 1. And then evil came into the world. And I mean, I want to qualify and do a talk on every single sentence here. How can a loving God allow evil? But we don't have time for all of that. But into this world came evil because God values freedom. And even in the spirit realm, there is freedom. And God, eventually evil in the form of Satan, uh, causes those to whom God has given authority over this world, he causes them to be seduced into an evil promise that becomes a lie. Because evil always presents itself to you very attractively. Evil is very logical, very rational, very enticing, and makes a lot of sense. Probably half the churches in North America are run by demonic spirits, not by Jesus. Because you can run a church like a business. And you can have Bible studies and you can have everything except power and effectiveness. And out of that kind of place comes hard-edged doctrine and judgment and unkindness and abuse. Everything God has created has the potential to become twisted. And so in this world that Satan entered into and human beings bought into unwittingly became a destructive venue for for distraction just to pile up and pile up and pile up. And into that world, God came in the form of Jesus. Because he had given a law, and the law was a description really of who God is, and the law wasn't actually given by... God, had, God didn't go, oh my, we gave Moses the Ten Commandments and it didn't work. Shoot, miscalculation, reboot. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and he gave the people who were broken the law to show them that they couldn't keep it. He gave them the law to give them a mirror and said, check out how well you can do this. And he was trying to show them their need for something more. In Christian terms, my need for a Savior. I cannot come to God. I cannot be what he wants me to be. I'm muddling through all of this but hopefully it'll make sense. Jesus comes into this world and eventually he walks, talks and heals and he demonstrates what it's like to be a human being filled with the Spirit of God. Put it another way. You drive around to Parksville, you drive around Port Alberni, you drive around this island at this time of the year and you're bound to see these flashy cars, these cars that have been restored. 
And you go to car shows and these guys are sitting there, hmm, it's my car. Think about what Christians would be like if they were like that. Hmm. They're very proud of that car. I mean, their car has probably ruined their marriage or it's replaced their wife, but uh, it's, it's certainly baby, baby, baby. And men gather together in workshops. Oh, baby, look at that. It's true. They salivate over these things. I just quoted a guy this morning in our church in, Park, in, in Port Alberni where he saw my TR6, which is a wreck. And he goes, oh, what beautiful lines. And I said, Chris, it's a car. <laughs> and, and people come along and they look at these cars and, you know, the hood's up and everybody's going, wow, what kind of engine, beautiful work job, paint job. And that car, and the owner stands there, and that car, he takes great pride in, or she takes great pride in maybe, and that car glorifies the one who restored. Now that car probably didn't always look like that because I want to ask the question, why don't I just take my TR6, which is in complete wreck, in pieces, rust everywhere, holes in it, it's in a workshop. Why don't I put that on the back of a truck, bring it to a car show? It's my TR6. It's a piece of work. I'm so proud of it. You laugh. TR6 glorifies me. I don't think so. I wouldn't be seen dead there. And I say to you, could you just be so kind as to, to stand here for a few hours next to my TR6, the pile of stuff? And you go, no, I'd rather sit next to the souped up one that's shining. Well, the world that God sent Jesus into resembled the pile of junk that was the TR6. It was a broken, fallen world. And Jesus came in, and there are two things going on with that TR6. Evil comes in and says, what are you? You call yourself a TR6? You don't even look like a TR6. You might once have been, but dream on, buddy. You are no longer anywhere close to it. Look at you. You're full of rust. You don't move. The engine's over here. Your bumper's over there. You would never see the sight of light. You're never going to be on the road again. And the TR6 says, you're right, nothing. I, I, I was abused. And it lives under a mantle of depression and despair and no hope. God sends his son, Jesus, into a world where the TR6 has never, ever heard a word of life to it. And comes in and he says, what are you? I'm a wreck. I'm falling to pieces. I'm burnt out. I'm never going to do anything with my life ever again. And Jesus says, I see a TR6. Let's begin to restore you. And he begins to pull on that and begins to start saying, there's a future for you. And as I begin to restore you, you begin to be transformed. And when I transform you, you will begin to glorify me because somebody's going to say, what happened to you? The last time I saw you, you were all over the workshop. And you go, but for the grace 
of God. That's where I was going to be for the rest of my life. And when you've been at TR6 in a workshop in pieces and you start to get restored and the wheels come on and you start rolling, baby, you've got a testimony. I was dead, but now I am alive. I'm still need the, you know, upholstery needs work and the engine needs work, but I'm rolling. And I wasn't rolling before. And Paul in Ephesians was saying, you see, if you start with yourself, you end up with nothing. Because you're trying to understand. But if you start with God, you end up with everything. Because what Paul says is, we were predestined to be sons and daughters of the living God. So you go to that wreck and say, do you realize that this is what you've ended up being in, in a broken, fallen world without God, but he's predestined you to be a, a TR6 that's buzzing down that highway. Now come on, let's move. If you'll allow me. You have a response. Yes, please, let's go. And he starts to work. And Paul well, that was totally unscripted, but never mind. doesn't really matter. It sounded, it sounded actually quite good. Paul then, you know, he, he basically, I'm just going to wing sort of around this. He basically goes, in his day, they had the TR6 and they had the Cadillac. And the Cadillac was the Jew and the TR6 was the Gentile. And Paul had a revelation that said TR6 is a part of the kingdom as well. And they said, and there's no way a TR6 is going into the kingdom. Until God gives a revelation and said, do you understand that you're both cars and I have no favorites and I have come that all motor vehicles of all descriptions would get back on the highway. And through Jesus, I have created a place for them all to go through into healing and restoration. And for the Jews, that was radical. Because they, their paradigms were so, so, so closed to the possibility. Why do we use them as an example? Because them is us. You have paradigms. You have ways of thinking. I have ways of thinking that are so closed that God is trying to answer the prayers you pray and I pray and he can't get in because we didn't expect it to come down the road like that. We have so many ifs, ands, and buts about it. And so Paul talks about this and he says, why don't you start with God, what God has done. What God has done in this person, Jesus. What God reveals through Jesus. Because if you start with God, you can come to that place where you go, I need restoration, rather than defending the crock and the wreck that I am. There are many, many people in Christian, who call themselves Christians, who are in the workshop, and they're singing, they're singing songs about God with no expectation of restoration until they die and go to heaven. So they live with nostalgia, they live with sentimentality, they live with Bible study, but they live with no power and no appeal. So the people in Craig Street go, Church, I don't want to be like that. If, if I'm going to be a wreck, I'll rather be a wreck out here. 
And so God is looking for people to say, I want people to be able to look at you and say, what happened? Because there are things and evidence upon your life that makes it look like somebody's been working with you. And you say, yes, it's God and Jesus who's restoring me. I'm not fully restored, because if you spend any time with me, you'll see that I'm not. But I'm more restored than I was. And so I'm really excited about where I'm going, because he's taken hold of me. And so Paul, I keep coming back here, and I don't pay any attention to what's back here. Chapter 1, he talks about God's purposes. You're predestined to be a son and daughter of the King of Kings. That's his purpose, his declaration over you. Chapter 2 is about you were dead and now you're alive. In other words, unless God actually did something by taking an initiative, you have no hope. And then he demonstrates that through the Gentiles. And then Paul, who's very intellectual, in chapter 3 says all the time, for this reason and it's a mystery. He's always saying the mystery of Jesus. The mystery of Jesus. But I was called by God because the mystery of Jesus is made, is, is communicated to you through me. God needs physical people on earth now to be a demonstration of his restoration. That's why Paul used to boast about the fact that he murdered people. He didn't boast because he was proud. He boasted because he said, that's what I was capable of. And I was the least, he says in Ephesians. I was the least, but he took hold of me. And I tell you that so that there's hope for you. Lefty goes around. He's been going around in the community in Port Alberni. And he's been meeting people. And he had a meeting with somebody who's quite influential in Port Alberni this last week. And they spent the first hour cross-questioning him about me because I fell and I had adultery and I lost the ministry and I spent 10 years in the wilderness. And they wanted to know. And I said, I'm very happy for you to have a conversation. I'm very happy to talk to them. I have no problem somebody questioning that. But I have absolutely no problem also saying, that is done. That doesn't mean to say there are no consequences. That doesn't mean to say that there's, I'm proud of it. It's got nothing to do with it. I am a testimony and a visible testimony of grace. And I'm thrilled to be that. I hate the fact that that's how it had to happen. But that's done. So all I can do is boast about, well, if Jesus has rescued me, what's your problem? And if I can get close enough to you, I bet you I'll find things in you because I happen to have counseled half of Port Alberni and they're very respectable people who've got some skeletons they wouldn't want me to talk about and I don't want to talk about. All I'm saying is grace is grace is grace. And most people need to know about grace. Most people need to know that despite their brokenness, there is hope. And so our testimony is this is what I was and God touched my heart and life and he rescued me. That's the answer you want to give somebody who's saying, is there a God? You don't have to give them a doctrinal lecture. They don't want that. They just need to know. One day they might want the doctrine, but right now they need to know, is there any hope for me? Or what is this God that you're getting so excited about? And said, you know what? This is what he's like. 
Does that make sense to you? So Paul says his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. In Him and through faith in Him and in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Have you ever seen a child approaching their father or mother with freedom and confidence? What does it look like? Have you seen a child that has not freedom and confidence and is fearful and abused? Why in the church do most of us look like we're fearful and abused? I'm not being critical. I'm talking to me as well. I'm merely going. Freedom and confidence is about actually saying, Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you. It doesn't mean we don't have anything to deal with. It just means that when God the Father interacts with you, the first thing He always, 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 always does is embrace you. That's what he did to the prodigal son. Then you have to work things out. So, I want to end this with a, maybe 10 minutes, let's be optimistic, about what Paul says here, because this is the process for us to grow, and the process for us to allow God to work in us without being religious. Paul says this. He says uh, a lot in chapter 3 that this mystery was made known to me by revelation. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's apostles and prophets. This mystery was made known to me by revelation. Revelation, as I talked about earlier, is when something is introduced into your life, into your thinking, into your sphere of being that comes from another place. So you can't work it out from your perspective, all right? Because you don't have the capacity to. So somebody has to come in and tell you something that you couldn't have come to the conclusion. Are you following me? So I look at the world and I say there cannot be a God of love. When Jesus came into the world, God revealed love through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is revelation. I would not have known who God was like. I wouldn't know that he was personal. I wouldn't know that he was kind. I wouldn't know that he was a father. I wouldn't know that he was forgiving. I wouldn't know that he healed without Jesus. That's why Jesus is head and shoulders above. In fact, multitudes of bodies above other religions. No matter how sincere they are, they don't get it. Because other religions talk about what you have to do to please God. And there's nothing worse than watching children trying to please their father. They're not happy campers. There's something delightful about children who are secure in their father. Christians should be the most secure, joyful people in the world because they are being restored by a loving Father who has found them and restoring them into who they never knew they could be. If you think you resemble what God created you to be right now, you are proud and you're, you're, you're misguided. I say that as Graham Cook says in the nicest possible way. 
You're a work in progress and there's lots more, so be encouraged. You place your hands on the one who restores. So how does Paul get that revelation? Saul is going to Jerusalem, I mean to Damascus. He's passionately for Judaism and for killing Christians who are not called Christians, they're just the Jewish sect, as I said earlier. He goes there sincere, he goes there educated, he goes there passionate, he goes there with the whole church authority behind him. And in the Damascus Road, he's smacked to the ground. Now, I'm suggesting this, that Saul went to Damascus like this. He was filled with his stuff and his perceptions and his sincere and genuine convictions that were rock solid. And when he went to the Damascus Road and when he, when, when, when he was thrown to the ground, basically it took three days, it seems to me, to be spilled. Where Paul for three days, Saul for three days was blind in Damascus. And the first thing Jesus said to Saul on the Damascus road, he said, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, Lord, I didn't recognize, I didn't know. And if Jesus had been like Saul at that moment, he would have killed him. As Saul had killed Stephen you read in Acts earlier on. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was the Jewish law. I'll treat you like you treated them. You're dead. And there might be a hell and that might be something you didn't count on. Because sincerity is not the only thing that counts in life. And so he goes led by his friends into Damascus and he's blind for three days. And I think over those three days because later we hear that he was praying, probably going, help, 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 help. He was being emptied. He was terrified. He was going, how on earth, what does this mean? I'm confused. We read in Ephesians, I learned this by revelation. What do you think it sometimes comes to you like? It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. And it's not always wrapped up in sugar. Sometimes that's because of us. Nothing breaks through unless it's violent. And it leaks until on the third day God speaks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, go to this house on Straight Street and lay hands on this man named Saul. And Ananias said, no way. He's got a reputation for killing people. But then Ananias obeys. And he goes and he lays hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, which is a statement of faith in itself. The Lord Jesus has sent me to tell you that you are going to be used to break open the doors to the Gentiles. And he's, he's sent me to tell you that he's going to use you because God has already told Ananias, I have chosen this man to be used by me. And then he lays hands on him and, and he prays for him to be filled with the Spirit that he would be equipped and begin to become, start the process of allowing God to use him and restore him from the, the wreckage that he had been 
into the man that he was intended to be. There's no way Saul at 18 would have seen who he would have been at 38. And if you had told Saul of 18 that he would be the author of this New Testament scriptures, he wouldn't have known what the New Testament was, that he would be the one who would translate the meaning of Jesus living in this world, that he would be used by God to do that after he had persecuted people who had said they followed Jesus, you would go, there's no way. But God can do extraordinary things. So he fills Saul and Saul becomes Paul. And for 15, 20 years, he's in the backwaters. So very much Barnabas who goes and fetches him. And so Paul begins his ministry because God has to work out character. God has to work out Paul's mindset, his understanding, his perceptions. It takes time. Some of us are impatient. God is working out His purposes, and the longer we rebel, the later it comes. He is not going to entrust things that bear fruit to people who don't know how to cope with them. Lots of people take hold of them, they grab them because they have the freedom to, and they turn sour. God is most, most His value is on character. Now you can quite easily keep all your rocks and say, uh, fill me. And you can believe in Jesus and you can ask Him to fill you with the Spirit and you will be filled to the degree to which you are empty. And that's why for many of us, we don't see a lot of change because we won't let go of our pet rocks. We get insulted instead of convicted. How does this work? God, I got up in the middle of the night the other day. I do that quite often. And I just got this phrase. He said, talk to them about faith like a feather. What is a feather? It's easily moved. It's light. Try blowing a rock. It doesn't move very quickly or easily. Faith like a feather, to me, seems to be about being light and open. The wind of the Spirit is described as a wind that blows where it wills. You blow a feather and you can blow it all over the place. You blow a rock and it doesn't move. Same Spirit, different results, depending on the substance of the thing that is being blown upon the revelation that came to Paul was that he needed restoration. The revelation that came to Paul was that the God who he had tried to kill was the God who had brought him to life through this one Jesus. And Paul, when he had that revelation, turned around completely and said, I want to spend the rest of my life serving you. He spent 14 years. He was very well equipped, but he spent 14 years in the wilderness or in the backwaters with no press photography, becoming the man that God could use in the public eye. And then he became like a feather. So he was going to Macedonia. God said no. He was open. He was flexible. He wasn't perfect. And that's why Paul prays and he says, for this reason... 
You see, the first three chapters of Ephesians of what God has done. And I just want to encourage us to read our scriptures and to have a responsibility, which means how are we responding to what God has done in Jesus? He wants you to glorify Him. He wants you, as you go through your life every day, to be a testimony to His faithfulness. Oh, it's not me, it's just Jesus. No, it is you. You are the bodywork. You are the testimony to what lives in you. So if I walk around, I'm full of rocks. I'm heavy. What is inside me gets worn by me, whether I like it or not. I'm irritable. I'm antisocial. I love Jesus, but I said, no, you don't right now. But we can't always be happy. No, we can't. But you still, what is inside you gets worn. And you go, well, that's depressing because I feel like a hypocrite then. He said, you don't have to be like a hypocrite. You just have to say, I'm still struggling with this. You can let people in. You can say, you know, this rock is what I'm struggling with right now. And people go, me too. Well, I had a rock like that once. And this is what I, I found helpful. And together, God's Spirit begins to take those rocks out. But I need to know that I have rocks. And I need to stop carrying them around, saying, Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but I just love this rock. I mean, this self-pity has served me for years. I mean, whenever I get challenged, I say, you just don't know my family. And I just turn that one on and everybody feels sorry for me and boy, have I got an alibi. I love this rock. And there's another one, maybe it's pride and you go, man, you know, I'm very humble actually. And there are thousands of rocks. Watch this uh, video quickly and then we're finished. I woke up this morning with a normal feeling for me. It felt like
So I thought that was quite powerful, quite well put, which is just how do we fill ourselves up and how do we allow God to fill us and can we make room? So this is not tonight a, a, a talk to condemn. It's a talk to diagnose and a talk to help us keep moving forward because we can be so full like this and we just say, God, I'm full of rocks. Please fill me and release me and work in me. And he says, cool, I, I'm very happy to do that. And what is revelation? Revelation is of his love and his goodness. And revelation is also of my need for his love and goodness. Revelation works from both directions. Revelation says, I am a sinful man. Revelation says, I am the son of the living God. Revelation says, Jesus has died for my sins. Revelation says, his spirit is, is working in me to make me what I have not been, but can become as he lives in me. So don't come under condemnation. Don't defend the rocks. Just thank him that he wants to take them so that you can be more fully restored. And that's why Paul ends us at chapter 3. I pray, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being or in your empty being that he can fill, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that is always the core of it, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know love that surpasses knowledge? You know love that, that surpasses knowledge by experience in your heart. Knowing love in your head is not the same as knowing it in your heart. And we're all on a journey of being healed and released in that area. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How cool is that? Where God's saying, I have so much to fill you with. But you've got to be spilled. You cannot be filled with the measure of the fullness of God and keep everything you have. And once you've started seeing God, you say, these are rocks. Because we think they're diamonds. And he says, those things that you think bring life are killing you. But he's gentle. So he only got Peter on his prejudice with Gentiles four years after he began to follow Jesus. 
He doesn't deal with everything at once. So that you, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. You know, I've been building a fish pond. Um, and it's a koi fish pond. And man, has it been quite an adventure. And the, we don't have time to tell you about that. But there was this, so I've had fish in this pond now for the last month. And I noticed one fish was at the bottom of the pond for quite a lot of the time. And it was getting quieter and quieter. I already lost about three goldfish um, and thrown them over the fence. <laughs> they became flying fish was their last memory. And I netted, I netted this fish and I was shocked because it, it actually had open wounds on both sides of its back and it had mold growing from it. And I took it to the fish guy, the koi fish guy, and he said, there's no saving this, but you can put it in the pond. Um, and sort of we took it to put it in the pond and I said to Cheryl afterwards, I'm really sorry I put that fish in the pond. I should have brought it home and seen what we, seen what it, if we could have saved it, just to see if we could have saved it. God the Father takes us out and he looks at us and goes, this, this isn't even worth saving. But you see, he never does that. He always takes us out and he says, this is incredibly worth saving. And the Father's love is such that he absolutely adores you and he so loves you that he doesn't want you to not have the best. And so he wants to help you identify rocks so that he can fill you with something far more. Because you think you get peace from this rock and he says, I give you peace beyond understanding. So let's stand, shall we? And let's give him some rocks. Let's rock tonight. Jesus went to the cross so that we could stand and encourage one another like this. Now the cool thing is that you don't have to dig the stuff up. And Father, I just pray right now that there would be no condemnation in this room. I speak against condemnation in the name of Jesus. I just break it off you. I break off shame and I break off all sense of regret. I break off everything in you that feels negative because God's spirit is not a negative spirit. But it is a convicting spirit. And so the way that it works is you just ask God's Spirit over your life, over the day. What you do is you choose to take responsibility for your life. And you draw a line in the sand and you say, I am not going to blame anyone ever again for my life or for who I am or for what I feel. Now I can explain how I get here and I can explain why I have feelings, but I'm not going to blame somebody. I'm going to say from now on, Jesus, what are you showing me through this? So Jean-Francois might walk up to me and he might totally irritate me and I go, Jean-Francois is irritating me. Or, don't worry, this is an example. Or I might say, Lord, when Jean-Francois does that, why do I respond like this? And he says, I'm just showing you a little rock. And so I go, all right. I might draw a boundary with Jean-Francois, but I don't want to have a negative response. I just want to have a strong response that is gracious, but has boundaries, but doesn't come from a place where I just want to hit back. I take responsibility for that. So God uses Jean-Francois 
to highlight in me something that he is wanting to change. Because I can't control Jean-Francois, I can only control me. And one of the ways we can find rocks is just to be able to simply walk without defensiveness through life and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about? And he says, just listen to your heart, listen to what's going on inside, and talk to me about it and see what happens. And where I find something that's negative, where I find something that I'm embarrassed about or angry about, I start saying, Jesus, I don't even understand where this is coming from. Maybe I do, but I just ask you to help me with it because I don't like what I am when this happens. As Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. It's called working out your salvation. It's called following Jesus. It's called being made new every day. It's called being filled continuously with the Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you just actually open our hearts to see a rock or a pebble or something that you're wanting to set us free from. But you can't set us free if we don't even know or will not even acknowledge that we have it. There is no condemnation. It's just, I want to use you in extraordinary ways. And so I'm going to be refining you for the rest of your life. And I want this process to become for you as simple and as pragmatic as having a shower. That you're not condemned, you just recognize it's part of the process. So give to him anything that's sitting very, I mean, right in your consciousness. You don't have to, to, to wrestle with this. Just give it to him. Because if he's asking you for it, he's wanting to give you something in return. And what he wants to give you in return is the opposite of that. So if it's irritation, acceptance and peace. If it's anger, forgiveness. If it's fear, just love. If it's hopelessness, receive hope. If it's feeling lost, let him speak to you about how he's found you. He sees you. He knows you. If it's feeling worthless, let him speak to you about how much he values you. If you're feeling afraid and frightened, receive his peace. The cool thing is, every rock we give him, he returns with gems. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And so, Father, in the place of the rocks that we've given to you right now, we just ask you to pour out your Spirit. Fill each person standing here with your Spirit right now. Fill to overflowing. Fill to overflowing with your love, with your presence, with your restoration. See yourself as my TR6, if you will. And just let the restorer, who is the expert, continue to work in you and around you. And don't be like a Chevrolet advert where the talking car tells him what to do. Just say, Jesus, what do you want to restore now? And then enjoy the process. And Father, I just bless what you want to do in each heart here tonight. I bless what you have done. And I bless what you will do. And I pray this prayer of Paul that you will just pour out your spirit beyond measure. 
Receive, receive, receive. The love of the Father, the presence of the Father, the power of the Father for your life tonight, whatever that might mean. Then go home and read Ephesians 3 and receive it as a prayer for yourself. Thank you, Father. We want to be a people at a church that glorifies you. We want to be a people like Peter who stood next to that man who was, a, who was healed at the, 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 the gate and he danced and he said, I don't know what happened. All I know is I was blind but now I see. I was, I was crippled and now I dance. I walk. And we just praise you that you are that kind of God, Lord. So we receive the inheritance. We receive what Jesus won for us. We receive his life. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled. And like the gravity thing as I started off tonight, don't worry about the feelings. Some people bounce off the walls and some of us don't bounce at all. But it's the same God and he works with the same faithfulness. So receive his love and his presence. We're going to sing a song as we close about he is stronger. And just let that be the kind of seal on your heart tonight, shall we?